Good morning. Um, I'm Megan, and this is Thatcher, and Anderson, and Griffin, and Matt, and Paxton is upstairs in Kids Rock. Um, we are the Webbles. And um, today's reading comes from Isaiah chapter 11 and the Gospel of Luke chapter 2. Please follow along in your own Bibles or simply listen as the scriptures are read. Again, that's Isaiah 11 and Luke 2, starting with verse 25. Following the reading, we will light the third candle of Advent, the candle of joy. As you are able, we invite you to stand for the reading of God's word. Hear the word of the Lord. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him, and his resting place will be glorious. Now there is a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who is righteous and devout. He is waiting for the constellation of Israel. The Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went to the temple courts. When the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be, be to God. 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 You may be seated. Uh, the past two weeks, we've lit the candles of hope and peace. Today, we light the candle of joy. May we be filled with joy because of the hope and peace we have in Jesus. May we be reinvigorated to trust the Advent promise that one day we will see Jesus face to face and sorrow and sighing will be no more. Let us pray. God of joy and jubilation, you strengthen what is weak, enrich the poor, and give hope to those who live in fear. Help us to be grateful for the good news of salvation and help us to remain faithful to you. Strengthen our hearts while we await the glorious return of Jesus. Amen. Well, good morning, Haverhill Commons. I'm going to adjust the microphone here. Is that good? All right, great. My name is Bryn. I am one of the pastors at Anchor Bay Church, which is a sister church of Haverhill Commons, and we did a little preacher swap today, so Pastor Marcus is preaching at my church, and I get to be with you guys, so I'm so glad to be able to worship with you. I was here, like, just before Halloween, so I feel like I, like, know you guys now, so um, why don't we take a minute and just be quiet before the Lord, invite the Holy Spirit to speak to us through this passage about Simeon. It's a really beautiful passage, and I'm excited to dive into it with you this morning, so let's just be quiet and think about the things in our lives that we are waiting on and invite God to speak into those places. And I'll open us with a word of prayer after a moment. 
God, we come to you with all sorts of hopes, things that we are waiting on your promises to fulfill. And we know in this passage and in the entire story of scripture that we are not the the first ones to be waiting on you. And so we ask that you would come, that you would teach us through your word, that you would teach us patience, and that you would teach us to put our hope in you and in the promises that you offer us through your word. We love you, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, over the last few weeks, did anyone set up a Christmas tree? So for the second year in a row, my husband and I are opting not to set up a Christmas tree because of two little friends who live in our house. We'll put up a picture of them, I think. There we go. Uh, Tomta and Nissa. We named them Tomta and Nissa, which are Scandinavian names for actually Christmas house elves who protect the home and make mischief. And they really live up to those names, especially the making mischief part. If we had named them Peace and Calm, they might be a little bit differently disposed, but we named them Tomta and Nissa, so we cannot have a Christmas tree, which means all of our ornaments are going to stay upstairs again this year. Well, there are lots of iconic Christmas tree decorations. There is apples, candles, tinsel. Does anyone use tinsel on their tree anymore? Some people do. It's kind of classic. Tinsel. So lots of Christmas traditions have stories behind them, and so does tinsel, the reason for why people put tinsel on their Christmas trees. The earliest record that we have of tinsel comes from Germany, a story that happened in about 1610, or kind of came about in 1610. Now, originally, tinsel was made from strips of real silver that they would just pull really, really thin and put on their Christmas trees. You would hang it on your Christmas tree, and then you would light candles, real candles, all around your Christmas tree and watch the tinsel shimmer in the candlelight while also hoping that your cottage doesn't burn down because you just set a bunch of small fires on a dead tree in your living room. So why do they do this? Like, why do they put strips of silver on their Christmas trees? Well, there are myths and legends that surround the reasoning for putting tinsel on Christmas trees. Most are Ukrainian or Germanic, but they all have one similarity, spiders. But you weren't expecting that, were you? We typically associate spiders with Halloween, but spiders play a central role in all of the Germanic Christmas stories. So here's this one from the Ukraine. There once was a widow who lived in a hut, and outside of her hut was a large pine tree, and one day a pine cone dropped on the ground and it took root. And her children were so excited that they were gonna have a Christmas tree this year, a tree for Christmas, and all summer long, they planned to nurture this Christmas tree, and they made plans for how they were gonna decorate it. But alas, they were very poor, and they couldn't afford any decorations for their Christmas tree. So the widow and her children went to bed on Christmas Eve without any decorations for their tree. Well, early on Christmas morning, the woman was awakened by her children, and they said, Mother, Mother, wake up, look at the tree, it's beautiful. And she woke up and she looked at the tree and she saw that during the night, spiders had spun webs all around the tree. Well, the youngest child opened the window and let the rays of sunlight in on Christmas Day. And as the rays of sun crept along the floor, it touched one of the threads of the spider web and turned it into silver. And after that day, the widow and her children never wanted for anything. And tinsel became a treasured ornament all over Christmas trees around the world. Well, as people, we love this kind of story, right? We love the the idea of instantly having everything that we have ever imagined. Uh, She puts on a little blush and takes off her glasses, and suddenly she's the most popular girl in school. Suddenly, (laughs) someone sprinkles fairy dust, and he turns into a prince instead of a frog. This is the kind of transformation story that we love, right? The instantaneous kind. An instantaneous transformation, it does happen in the Christian life. When we meet Christ... Boom, everything 
is different. Boom, instantly the old creature passes away and the new has come. Boom, instantly we are adopted into the family of God and we become children of God. Boom, instantly our sins are forgiven, our debt is paid, and Christ ascribes his standing before God to us. Boom, instantly our cobwebs are changed into silver. There are certainly parts of the Christian life that happen instantly. But that is not the kind of transformation that I'm going to talk about this morning. There is, in fact, another kind of transformation, another kind of change. And it's the kind of transformation that we just don't like very much. Because it's the kind of transformation that takes time, that makes us wait. Waiting is not something that we typically enjoy in our culture. And still waiting, waiting is an unavoidable part of the Christian life. And waiting is where we find Simeon in our passage this morning. So if you put your Bibles away, if you brought your Bibles, I'd invite you to open those back up to the Gospel of Luke chapter 2, to the passage that the Rebels read for us a few minutes ago. And if you've been here the past few weeks, you know that we are anchoring our sermon series. We're doing a shared sermon series with our two churches on that Christmas hymn that we sung a few minutes ago, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And that hymn is a song about waiting. It's a song about waiting for God to act in the world. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel, shall come to thee, O Israel. And this week the lyrics continue, O come thou rod of Jesse free thine own from Satan's tyranny. It's another lyric about waiting, about waiting for God to act, about longing for something to come, about longing for freedom from sin and death and evil in the world. And I'll be honest, it has felt a little weird the last few weeks to do an entire sermon series just on waiting, one sermon after another about the unknown. It's a whole sermon series about longing for something. It's a lot easier, and I get a lot better feedback to, when we do sermons about the transformation part, the happily ever after part of the story, the part of the story where we get to see what happens in the end. But the middle part, the waiting part, that's the harder part to talk about and to listen to. We don't like that part of the story, the middle part. Advent Advent is that part of the story, though. It is a, the part of our church calendar where we really focus on waiting. It's the part of the story after the prayer gets prayed, but before it gets answered. It's the part of the story after the breakup, but before we're healed. It's the part of the story after the diagnosis, but before the cure. It's the middle part. And a lot of the Bible is written in the middle part of the story, in the Advent part of the story. It's about people waiting for something to come. And it's written by people who are waiting, and it's written to people who are waiting. Abraham waiting on an heir, Isaac and Jacob waiting on the land that God promised, Joseph waiting in the prisons of Egypt, the Hebrews waiting, for, uh, waiting in slavery for 400 years in Egypt, David waiting on a, for a throne as a fugitive, Nehemiah and Ezra waiting on the temple, the walls of their beloved city and temple rebuilt. The entire Old Testament from Genesis to Malachi is a painstakingly slow movement of God to redeem the people from slavery, from oppression, from themselves. So much of the Bible, it's about waiting, waiting for something else. Which is probably why the most frequently asked question in the Psalms is why, but the second 
most frequently asked question in the Psalms is how long? How long is this going to take? How long are we going to have to put up with this? How long are we supposed to wait? And so after years and years and generations of waiting, Israel's prophets, they start to talk about a different day, a day when God is going to fulfill all of these promises. The prophet Isaiah gets quoted a lot this time of year, and, and he talked about a Messiah who would fulfill all the promises of God. He said things like, a shoot will come from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. A root, a root of hope and change and love will come out of this obscure family line, this line of Jesse, and it's going to bear fruit that we have never seen and never imagined before in our world. And that promise, it gave the Israelites hope, hope for something different when everything else seemed to be taking so, so long. Hope. Hope. When you think about that word hope, what does that mean to you? What are you hoping for? If you were to imagine hope for a second, what would you hope to change in the world? I read a, an article a few years ago about how to talk to kids, because I don't have kids, so I have to read articles about how to talk to them. And one thing it said is that when, when an adult is trying to make an, a connection with a kid, the automatic kind of first line of conversation is to comment on how they look. So like, oh, don't you look pretty? Or I really like your, your dress or your outfit. And it's well-meaning. But over time, these kinds of conversations can communicate to a kid that the most important thing or the most noteworthy thing about them is how they look. And so this article suggests that instead of making your very first comment or observation about a kid to be about their appearance, start with something about their, something that they're interested in or something that they feel or, or maybe something that they think about. Talk about their mind or their heart. And, and they suggested that a framework for that question, one question could be, if you had a magic wand, what would you change about the world? If you had a magic wand, what would you change about the world? In other words, if you had a magic wand, what would you hope for? Well, sometimes a kid might say, well, I hope for a magical unicorn. And that would be fair. Everyone should get a magical unicorn. But sometimes their answers are a little bit more profound. I would hope that no one gets bullied. I would hope that everyone has lunch in school. I would hope that all the world's, uh, wars in the world could cease. What do you hope for? And I think it's a great question for adults, too. If you had a magic wand, what would you change? What would you transform instantly from spider webs into tinsel? What would you make different? What do you long for to be made right? If you were to hope for anything in the world, what would you hope for? Think about that for a second. What do you put your hope in? There's this, this interesting thing in the Bible about that word hope. So in the Old Testament, there are two main Hebrew words that get translated into English as hope. The first is, is the word for hope, yachal. Can you say that with me? Yachal. It literally means to wait, to wait. Like in the story of Noah and the ark, Noah had to yachal for the floodwaters to recede for weeks. To wait, yachal. And the second word for hope is Kava. Can you say that with me? Kava. Kava, which also means to wait. It comes from the Hebrew, Hebrew word kav, which literally means cord or rope. When you pull a kav tight, there's this tension until there is a release. That's kava. There's this feeling of tension and release while you wait for what you hope for. So in the Old Testament, hope 
is about waiting. It's about expectation. It's about that promise that something else is coming, something else that we haven't seen yet or maybe even imagined yet. Well, all over our world, we have reminders that things are not as they should be right now. Racism, terrorism, mass shootings, mass incarceration, income inequality, the refugee crisis, broken families, broken hearts. We know and we feel in our bones that there are spider webs that need to be transformed into silver. As a world, we are waiting. As a church, we are waiting. And in the Gospel of Luke, Simeon, Simeon was waiting. Simeon's whole people have been waiting. They've been waiting, waiting for God to keep God's promises. They've been waiting for the, the fulfillment of God's prophecies. And by the time we meet Simeon, a lot of people in Israel had stopped waiting for God to act. They had stopped wondering when God would keep God's promises. And they started to wonder if, if God would keep God's promises. Some people had, had stopped waiting on God to act entirely. But not Simeon. By the time we meet Simeon, he is a really, really old man. He was waiting, but he knew who to put his hope in, his kavah in. Simeon continued to cling to this promise that God had given him that Simeon would get to see God's Messiah before he died. So let's take a look at the story, Luke 2. It says this. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. The Holy Spirit was on him. For Simeon, it was not a matter of if, but when God would act. Not if God would act, but when God would act. And there's an important distinction to that. If waiting and when waiting. If waiting produces stress and anxiety. Is God going to change my life? Is God going to save me? Is God going to heal me? But when waiting, it takes deep breaths. It remembers the times that God has been faithful in the past. If waiting isn't sure if God is going to keep God's promises, but when waiting means knowing that God will do what God said God is going to do, and God is going to do it in God's own time. Now, on the surface, it can seem like and sometimes feel like waiting is just a passive exercise. It, it means doing nothing and accomplishing nothing, waiting for someone else to come do something for us. But when waiting... When waiting isn't passive, it's active, it's hopeful, it is rooted in the expectancy that God will come. But there's something important about that too, Ex expectancy versus expectation, waiting with expectancy and waiting with expectation. God tells us to bring our desires to God, so we should never shy away from asking God for the things that we hope for in this life. But when our desires become demands or expectations that we place on God, then we have taken God off of the throne and put ourselves in that place. We expect God to act a certain way, and that way happens to be our way. We expect God to act on a certain schedule, and that schedule happens to be our schedule. We expect that God will answer God's promises, but those promises happen to be our expectations for what we want in this life. And the hard truth is that we won't always get what we want in this life. God hasn't promised us for everything that we hope for. We might not get that particular thing that we're waiting on, but God has promised. God has promised to transform us and heal us and redeem us. And God has promised that one day everything will be made right in God's own timing and design. 
the danger of having expectations of God beyond these promises from God is that we could potentially be closing ourselves off to something that God has intended for us, something that maybe we haven't imagined yet. But waiting expectantly, waiting with expectancy, it opens us up to possibilities that we have never dreamed about. And it's in that expectant, when-waiting place that Simeon meets Jesus. So I know we're, we're jumping ahead a little bit in the, the narrative. Normally we don't talk about Jesus' birth until Christmas Eve. But this story is so beautiful and so important that we wanted to talk about it during our Advent season. So by the time we meet uh, Mary and Joseph in the story, Mary has already given birth to Jesus. And Mary and Joseph are taking Jesus to the temple to be dedicated. And the Holy Spirit prompts the super old man, Simeon, to go and meet these strangers there. So he goes. And he meets Mary and Joseph. And this tiny baby Jesus who's still in diapers, and Simeon sees Jesus, and he knows exactly, exactly who that is. This is the one that they've been waiting for. And he goes up to Mary and Joseph, and he says, can I hold him? And they say, yes. And Simeon takes Jesus in his arms. He takes God in his arms. Think about that for a second. Simeon was one of the rare people who have walked this earth who actually got to hold God in his arms. Now, we don't know a lot about Simeon. The Bible doesn't record that he was a religious leader or a priest of any kind. We don't know if he was anything all that special. He might have just been an ordinary guy. We're mostly just told that he had been waiting for God to act. And the Holy Spirit came on him, and then he got to hold Jesus. He got to hold God in his own arms. Can you imagine? Can you imagine taking a baby who's just a month or two old, knowing that you are actually holding the creator of the universe, the source of life, in your hands, Simeon knew. And he said, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as you have promised. I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people, Israel. Now, we don't know exactly how long Simeon had been waiting we don't know how long he'd been hoping for that promise of the Messiah, but as soon as he takes Jesus in his arms, he said, thank you, Lord. I can die now. That's all I needed. That was all he needed. And that's the thing. That's what I think is most interesting about this story. Simeon doesn't live to see the outcome of Jesus' story. He doesn't see Jesus grow up. He doesn't see Jesus heal the sick or preach the good news. He doesn't see Jesus die on the cross or get raised from the dead. He doesn't see any of that. He just gets a taste of what's to come in the, this little baby in his arms, this little kid who is fully complete and yet still has so much to do. Simeon doesn't get to see the healing and teaching. He doesn't get to see the cross in the empty tomb. He doesn't get to see the whole story play out in his lifetime. But where did Simeon see God's salvation? He sees him in this person of Jesus, not in a, a set of religious expectations or rules or obligations. Now, when you think about that word salvation, a lot of us think of the cross and the empty tomb. And, and, and salvation does include that, but Simeon, he saw Israel's salvation just in the person of Jesus, just in this baby who was in his arms. So what kind of salvation is he talking about? Well, biblically, that word salvation, it's connected with the word healing. Healing. Healing of the whole person. Healing of our physical bodies, our mental health, our emotional health. Healing of our, our trauma our pain, healing for our whole communities, for our families, our marriages, our relationships, healing for the world, 
healing of broken systems and institutions, things that are broken and hurting and things that oppress others, healing for war-torn countries. When we meet Jesus in this story and in our stories, we are promised healing right at the outset, healing that starts now. And because of the cross and the empty tomb, it is healing that will last into eternity. And still, still the fullness of that healing, it isn't something we always get to see in our day. We just see a taste of it when we meet Jesus. We get a, a promise that one day everything is going to be made right, that we are going to be made right. Even if all we get to hold on to right now is a taste of what's to come. We live in finite bodies, but Paul describes it like this in 2 Corinthians. We now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God and not from ourselves. And that's the other interesting thing. Simeon doesn't end his monologue with, okay, that's it, I'm ready to die now. He looks at Mary and he says, this child is destined to call the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Essentially, he's saying, okay, everything that we have been waiting for, everything is here in this little person, this complete little person who is still in diapers, but change change is going to be hard. Transformation is going to take time. The story is just starting here. Simeon thanked God, not because the redemption that he longed for was complete, but because as he looked at Jesus, he knew that that story had begun. Lots of people wondered if God would really bring a savior like God promised, but seeing the baby Jesus, it assured them that they, they were, weren't waiting in vain. God was going to keep every promise, even when that promise seemed impossible. So some of us, some of us are in a season of waiting. We are waiting for something. We're waiting for God to act in our lives. We're waiting for the fulfillment of a promise of God, and it's not coming, and it's not coming, and it's not coming, but we're holding on, and then we get a taste of something small. It's, it's just a reminder, a cord to hold our hope onto. Can that taste be enough for now? Well, I asked some people that question this week. A lot of people in the global church are really struggling in their faith these, uh, because of these last few years. These last few years have been hard on us in the church. And I hear from a lot of people that their faith is really just hanging on, hanging on by a thread. And so this week I asked people, what, what is that thread for you? What keeps you tethered to Christ in the waiting? Here are a few things I heard just this week from people in, in my community. One person said, being in community, I found a few women in the church who have been moms for me when I needed a mom. Someone else said, in the past, God has given me strength to face my addiction, my porn addiction. Someone else said, their alcohol addiction. I knew I couldn't keep going without that strength. Someone else said, God has moved me out of incarceration and homelessness into a new life of hope and healing for my future. Someone else said, God has been teaching me to take the corset off that I can finally live in freedom. Another person said, I keep coming back because even though I have a hard time believing, I still believe that following Christ is the best way to live. Now, we often think of hope as this kind of optimistic future kind of promise, but hope, it isn't rooted in optimism or in the future. Hope is grounded in the past. It's why God consistently reminds the people in, in Simeon what God has already done. Remember, remember our story. 
so they can wait confidently in expectation, knowing that God will act because they can remember that God has already acted. So what about you? What keeps you connected? What is that thread for you? What part of the story, what part of your story with God keeps you coming back? What reminds you of the promises? What keeps you tethered to hope? What tethers you and grounds you? What is that thread that keeps you connected to Christ, even in the midst of all of your waiting? Let's pray. God of Israel, God of Simeon, God of our fathers and mothers, God of our history and our hope, we thank you for how you have acted in our past, in the the past of this community, this church, the global church, and in our stories. God, as we remember the ways that you have acted, we pray that you would give us hope for how you will act. We pray that you would give us hope in the cross and the empty tomb and in the Messiah who is still acting in our lives. And we ask that as we wait with expectancy, that you would take our expectations and push them far from us and instead replace them with you and the desires of your heart and the things that you want for us. We ask that you would change us and transform us into people who look just like you. We love you, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.